Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. We've got just one game to talk about. We last recorded Thursday. The Huskies beat North Carolina number 24, 76-64 at Mohegan Sun as the cap on quite a triple header at the casino. A important win to get a pretty good resume booster, but also to stay in the top 25. Look, I hate talking about the poll, but I do find it kind of funny that UConn loses to who's now the number five team in the country and they drop 11 spots, but then they beat the number 24 team in the country and they stay in the exact same spot and UNC only drops one spot. So if the roles were reversed, I just can't help but imagine it would have looked a little different. Yeah, UNC probably would have all of a sudden been like a top 10 team and UConn would have been unranked somehow. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, but UConn hangs in the polls for now. It's not going to get all that much easier coming up on Saturday because they've got number 19 Louisville coming to the XL Center, though. It's their home game, and UConn has very obviously done a lot better at home, or at least in Connecticut compared to the road. Quite a stretch to close this first half. Louisville on Saturday, Butler on Monday, and then up to Toronto for Aaliyah Edwards' homecoming on Wednesday. One game in one day in between each game after finals week, and then you're off for 11 days for Christmas. So they are certainly going to earn that 11-day break. Yeah, agreed. They have been through the gauntlet with the schedule so far. And like you said, still a couple, or at least one tough one in there with Louisville coming up before they get that break. So <laughs> they definitely have earned quite a few days off after all these games that they've played. Yeah, not exactly a very nice welcome back because you got Marquette on New Year's Eve at the Excel Center, Creighton, the two best teams in the Big East, right off the bat, boom, boom. But before we get, look too far ahead, the UNC game is fresh in our memories. We're recording this on Monday night. Big story coming out of that game, Paige Becker's, I think it's fair to say her best performance of the season when you consider Mm -hmm. the point total, the efficiency, and the impact she had on the defensive side of the ball, I think what stood out the most to me from what she said post-game, and I think you could see it a little bit, and now it's just more obvious with her saying it, but that she wasn't all that doing all that great mentally. She had been distressing, putting a lot of pressure on herself. I think even just the hit of losing AZ Fudd and then charm a toll on her too so she admitted she wasn't necessarily herself and she wanted to just get back to having fun and the way she played reminded me a lot of the maryland game she had fun playing it was just all page from start to finish and it was just it was fun to watch it was one of those games that was fun to watch and we have not had many of those this year (laughs) yeah i definitely agree with that and i think Yes, we knew she could score like that and all of that, but the defensive effort to me was probably the most impressive part of her performance. I don't know that we've seen kind of Paige be the best defender on the floor for this team before, and I see her come out and have such a big impact on that end of the court as well, I think was was a really positive sign in terms of, one, her development from like where she was the last time we saw her play a full season her freshman year, where she's obviously very good offensively, but had... Some areas to grow defensively, and now to see her kind of 
be able to play like that against a good UNC team too. It's not like she had, you know, four blocks and three steals against Butler. It's a really solid UNC team. I think it was, it was very good to see that and a, probably a positive sign for this team on the defensive end too, to have her stepping up and playing at that level on the other end of the court. We started to see it before she got hurt as a sophomore. I remember there was a game down at Seton Hall where she was really disruptive like that, getting her hand on balls, getting a lot of steals. The blocks weren't there, but I think that's the type of defender that Paige has to be to keep up on that end because she's not a great one-on-one defender. I don't know if she has the foot speed to be a truly lockdown player, but you can be a great defender in other ways. And I think it's just a pretty good way of showing how this year's UConn team on its own can be great on that side of the ball without necessarily being a lockdown team. This is a UConn team that doesn't have great defensive pieces, but I think they can, if they have a lot of disruptors that can give it to them a different way. And it can really help on the offensive end with how many pieces they're missing. So it's a really nice blueprint for the team as a whole on how they can raise that level defensively, be disruptive, get your hand in those passing lanes, get turnovers, get out in transition. And it's something that you had mentioned a lot going into the UNC game where you're going to have a lot of trouble scoring in the half court against them defensively. They got out in transition a lot. They scored in transition a lot. And I think that's something that really helped them stay ahead in this game. I agree. And I think it's, Possibly even more impressive because UNC is not a team that's turned over the ball a lot this season. They've been very good at taking care of the ball, so I think it but or speaks even better to where UConn was able to shine defensively because it's it's not a problem that UNC has had all season. They're not always turning over the ball, so UConn was really able to take them out of their their element there and got rewarded by I think it was like over twenty points that they scored off of uh, UNC's turnovers in the game. Yeah, I thought post-game Gino mentioned pretty much the way that that game went is the blueprint going forward because it wasn't always pretty. And I think we saw once UConn got into the half court, there were just there's too many opportunities for mistakes to happen, whether it be a miscommunication where someone cuts one way and the pass goes the other or just not getting the pass where it should be. When they're in the half court, it is so obvious how much more chemistry and gelling this team needs but when they're moving out in transition it just looks completely different and it takes so much of the weight off because they don't have those shooters they don't really have an ability to just go to Aaliyah Edwards every single time against these better teams that have some size in there especially as we're increasingly seeing UConn's best offensive lineup is when they go small I really like how the starting lineup Gets UConn out on the right foot. I think Aubrey Griffin plays really well coming off the bench and just gives them an element of, not that she's the steadiest player in the world, but she's more steady than any of the freshmen. You have a better chance of a good performance coming from Aubrey Griffin than you do from one of the freshmen. So, yeah, we're starting to see how it can work. There's still a lot of a lot a lot a lot that needs to happen before we can even think about how they might match up with like i think south carolina down in february is going to be a really good litmus test but 
We're starting to see this team figure out the way that they need to play. Now it's a matter of cleaning up those mistakes. I mean, Nika cannot have six turnovers in right. a game. It's starting to get there. And that's not a bad team that they lost to by any means. I think that's someone that can that can do something in March if all things go well as Courtney Banghart. God bless her, reminded us a million times in the post-game press conference. <laughs> they are also injured, which, yes, that may be true, but, you know, maybe not the time. Maybe not the opponent yeah. <laughs> to be talking about how many injuries you have. So, overall, I think you walk out of this game feeling a lot better about UConn than, is it dramatic to say, any other point this season? No, I think that's fair. I think you feel a lot better about this team right now and the fact that, yeah, they have those three losses, but they're to three really good teams and you have a good team in UNC and you're able to come out with a a pretty good win without being perfect, too. I think that says a lot, too. Like, they didn't have to play a perfect game to beat UNC. They're able to, to kind of have a lot of those issues still and still get the win. And I think you're going to learn a lot more about this team, too. Like, we were talking about these couple handful of games that are in the next few weeks. You've got Louisville this weekend, Marquette on New Year's Eve, and Creighton right after that. Like, that's three teams that are all ranked very similarly to UConn right now. And I think if you can kind of consistently see UConn be able to get wins, be able to kind of string together better performances, you're going to feel a lot better about this team on January 3rd. Or a lot worse, depending how it goes. (laughs) Right, right. The number of times I've heard man, if they continue looking like this, they're not even going to get to the Sweet 16. Like, yeah, obviously, that's how it works. But we're also, I mean, I guess we're midway through December now, but you just think of where this team is on its progression. If if you start the season at the Maryland game, basically, like their preseason essentially began at the Maryland game. They made strides, and I don't know that they're huge strides. Again, there's still so much that needs to be fixed, but we can close the cover over the panic button for now because that was a game that they were largely in control of the entire time. I know UNC made that run in the second quarter and got it tied, probably should have gone up at halftime, but the way UConn came out of that locker room and really asserted their dominance. And the fourth quarter... It wasn't pretty, but it was effective, and that's perfectly fine for this UConn team right now. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be effect, or they don't need to be pretty. They just need to be effective, and it got the job done. There was never any point where it really felt like UNC was serious about mounting a comeback, just because of how much that game grinded and how slow it was. So, lots of good coming out of that win. Agreed. I think a lot. A lot more positive than you've been able to take, really, from any other game so far this season. I did find it funny that first quarter, they go on a 13-0 run that just felt like the world's slowest 13-0 run. It was almost <laughs> like you were watching it happen in slow motion because yes. <laughs> it was like six and a half minutes that UNC didn't score. And UConn continued its run, but it was, I think I said it was very methodical. They were very uh, pragmatic with their approach in that run. It was not high-flying guns firing. Yeah, it wasn't like your typical like UConn first quarter 13-0 run where all of a sudden they're up like 30-12. to 12. It was like I think the score was still like, what, like 
15 to 8 or something at the end of the first quarter, and it wasn't that bad. But, yeah, much more low-scoring run than normal. Yeah. Yeah, like the Ball State game, I think, is a good example of the latter where it it was a rocky start. They were down a couple times early on, and then all of a sudden you look up and they scored 37 points in that first quarter, and they're up by 16. And I think I said at one point, like, when did that even happen? It doesn't feel like this is a 16-point game yet. So I guess uh, different ways to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that final, it was 19-10 to 10 at the end of the first quarter. I looked it up while you were talking there. So, yeah, 13-0 run, but still not a very high-scoring quarter. It's like, it's like that, have you seen the Austin Powers movies? No, I have not. Okay, well, there's this. There's, I know, this is a women's basketball podcast, and we know the the audience for the women generally skews a little older, but the people who understand this reference will get it, where there's the scene where Austin Powers is driving, I think it's a steamroller at, like, a guard, and the guard is like, stop, and first it's from the back but then they cut and there's like a football field length between the two and the guy could very easily get out of the way and there's this like really long extended scene where the steamroller just gets closer and closer and then you know finally takes him out that's what it felt like where you 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 know what's (laughs) happening everyone knows you can't really get out of the way but it just takes forever to happen i mean if uconn somehow lost that game we would have looked at that first quarter and been like, man, if they scored more than 13 points during that six and a half minute stretch where they held them without a point, that would have been the difference. Luckily, it didn't matter, but it it was it was just <laughs> creaking along. Yes. <laughs> I think this is also a good spot to talk about the freshmen because we got some different performances out of them. Ashlyn Shade kind of seems to like starting, came off the bench and had another really good performance, is really starting to knock down shots with consistency, which I still think there's so much more to her game that we haven't seen, but this is a really good step, and Mm -hmm. what I think makes is going to make Ashlyn a really good player in the future is that she's going to be able to help you wherever you may need on a given night and right now they really need scoring and shooting and she's providing that but then even beyond that i thought kk her numbers didn't jump off the page but i just thought she played really well she just attacked with the ball she was confident and assertive in her decision making it didn't look like she was thinking a whole lot out there she was just going out and playing and when we, I was watching the film of the European trip, that's what she was doing. She was just going out there and making plays. And even if it didn't translate to the stat sheet, she was one of the better players out there. It feels like she's been caught overthinking stuff a lot early on. So even for her to just have that free of a performance, I think is a really good sign at this point. Yeah, I agree. And actually that was something I wanted to mention too, with like the inconsistency that we're seeing with this team like, maybe not so much in the first couple of games, but, like, now they're playing with two freshmen on the court pretty much all the time. So I think, like, from that perspective, too, like, yeah, it's going to be really good at times, and there's going to be bad parts, and I think that's to be expected right now. But, like, the freshmen are only going to get better, and I think we're already seeing that with, like you said, Ashlyn Shade and KK both had really good games, I thought, against UNC. 
Yeah, then there's the other end of the spectrum where Ice Brady could probably really <laughs> use the Christmas break to get the reset, come back with a new, fresh perspective because it is rough out there for right now. It, things do not look good. And there was one game, I think it was NC State, where Gino benched her in the second half, and I, I just understand why you wouldn't even give her a shot in the second half when you couldn't rebound the ball but she didn't play in, I don't think she played in the second half against UNC and it made plenty yeah. of sense because not only is UConn's small lineup its best lineup right now but Ice just is not giving you anything out there the game it does not feel like she's caught up to the speed of play in the game and she even admitted to that I think we talked with her on Friday they they all blend together at this point we talked with her mm-hmm. last week and she admitted the speed of the game has been really tough for her. So I wonder if it's just a matter of go home, take however many days they end up off, off. And then when you come back, you've just gotten that break and you're no longer pressing and you no longer feel like you're constantly trying to play catch up. Like when you can't figure out something and you just go and even take a 10 minute break and you come back and it makes a lot more sense. I think, that's probably what they need to hope for because as good as that small ball lineup is, their rebounding is still a problem. They still get pretty easily overmatched down low, so they need her to be that force down there. Even to just give them 10 good minutes a game to give Aaliyah a break. Almost the way that Amari played at against UCLA where... She wasn't necessarily doing anything on the stat sheet, but she wasn't being a net negative out there. If Ice can just start there and not make things worse when she's on the floor, then UConn will be in pretty good shape. But until then, yeah, I I can't imagine she's going to play a lot. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully the the break will be a good reset for her because I do think they need something to kind of improve on the the rebounding in there. I think Gino talked about yesterday too how, you know, they can make up for that if they can, you know, hit more threes than their opponent to get more turnovers and kind of that was where they made up for it in that UNC game. And looking at the remaining schedule, that's going to work against a lot of the opponents. But when you look at a game like that South Carolina game or when you get to the tournament, you're just the margin that you need to make up, I think is going to be bigger and kind of being able to solve that a little bit more and not just relying on making it up on threes and turnovers is going to be important for how far this team can get when it gets to March. Yeah. Without that, they have to be one of these, I don't know if there's a better word for it, but these gimmicky teams like a, a Doug Bruno DePaul team where they always throw something different at you to try and catch you off or the way that Creighton launches a ton of threes or like Ohio state's press defense where they don't, those teams don't necessarily have the talent to play straight up with, you know, those best teams in the country, the typical UConn teams. Mm-hmm. So they use a, a tactic that you don't necessarily see a whole lot to just, you know, if you're playing a team like UConn in the Sweet 16 and you can completely throw them off by pressing them and have them just completely collapse mentally, that could... <laughs> in theory, get you to an Elite Eight and a a chance to play in the Final Four. So just a hypothetical example. (laughs) But yeah, that what Gino said to me feels like 
he understands that as they're currently set up, they do have to be a little gimmicky in being a team that forces a lot of turnovers so that other teams don't get shots up because they're not going to rebound all of those shots and hitting more threes because that's a lot easier than working it inside to the one big that you have. And, and obviously like three points is worth more than two. So that's one less for every three you hit. That's essentially one less possession that you have to score on because what's a good points per possession, like one. Yeah, that's pretty solid. So essentially for every three pointer you hit instead of a two pointer, that's one less possession that needs to be a score to get to whatever that mark is. Does that make sense? Or am I just making things up? Yeah, that's pretty fair. So that is all again, I don't I don't think gimmicky is totally the best word, but just it's all very I'm gonna keep using it though. It's all just very gimmicky because they don't have AZ, they don't have Caroline. They don't have, apparently, Ayanna Patterson for the rest of the year. They yes. don't have Jaina El Alfie for the entire season. And you got a bunch of freshmen that you don't necessarily know what they're going to do on a given night. So I think what we should kind of reset our expectations around isn't necessarily like, let's not even look ahead to March yet. But we're used to UConn teams looking and playing a certain way. And I think this year we're going to have to just throw that out the window and they're going to have to do it differently because of what they have. Agreed. I, I think that we're going to have to see a little bit more of, I like, I don't like the word gimmicky either, but it works kind of for this context. So yeah. more of that, but I think they're also different than your typical team, like in the house state and stuff that you threw out there as the teams that use that, because like you still have page backers and assuming that we start to see more of the Aaliyah Edwards that we've seen in the last few games. You still have Aaliyah Edwards, so you have a team that has two All-Americans on it, and that makes a big difference. And just what cannot be emphasized enough is this is probably the closest. UNC is probably the closest we've seen to Paige at her peak, and I still don't even think that's totally right it. There. Yeah. So but there's still more that Paige can do that she's still going to get better the page that is playing right now i don't think is anything close to what we're going to see even by the time february rolls around and especially march so if you can start to get everything going around her then it just makes what she's doing so much better and i thought it was noteworthy that gino said she makes the players around her a lot better but she can't necessarily do that right now because she has to just score so much and she has to do a lot of it on her own and i think she only had one or two assists which is just out of the norm for her mm -hmm. so yeah page has been really good like that shouldn't get swept under the rug either with the way that she's playing is still really good she's leading the team in scoring i don't know if that game knocked her over 20 points per game yet no but she's right there she's averaging 19.8 points per game so by every single measure, Paige has already been really good, but she should be even better as things continue going on. Agreed. I think we're only going to see her better. And she's been very efficient too, but I think uh, she, you know, plays more and more here too. Like she is still coming up an injury. Like her efficiency is probably going to go up. Her efficiency will definitely go up as other people get more involved too when she can be a little bit more selective about shots. So I agree. I think she's only going to get better she's now leading the team in blocks per game too which is hilarious 
I don't know. If, I mean, that's definitely not a good thing, but yeah. this is also just not a team. <laughs> I mean, if she starts having four blocks per game, then it's a fine thing. <laughs> what was incredible, too, is those weren't just, you know, the, the typical, I say, with quotation marks, guard blocks where you get your hand up and maybe you get, like, a finger on the ball yeah, no, and it comes up short. and they. Blocks. <laughs> oh, yeah. She tried to send one of those to Rhode Island. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> They were thunderous. Her hand must have yeah. hurt after a couple of those. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They weren't like, yeah, exactly. They weren't your little, like, you get a tip or like a, a three-pointer block where the, the person just doesn't have enough arc on their shot. It was the type of block you would expect from the bigs. Yeah. It's like the type of blocks that we've been seeing from Donovan Klingon yeah. or Samson Johnson <laughs> on the men's side. Except it's the scrawny 5'11 girl on the UConn team. Yeah. <laughs> so that was probably the most fun part of yesterday's game is yeah. those blocks. I mean, the the worst part is the best block she had. I think it went straight to a UNC player and they like immediately scored. So it, it wasn't even worth like clipping for a highlight because it just resulted in a bucket anyways. But it was the yeah. best one. <laughs> Yeah, there was a little too much excitement about the block on that one, and no one turned around to cover the person that got the ball. Understandable, but... <laughs> yeah, which, like, fair, I probably would have done the same thing. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you know who is currently fourth on the team in blocks? Well, I haven't Total. been, so I'm, I'm cheating, but I think it's uh, Caroline Duchamp. <laughs> Oh, no, that's not total. No. That's per game. <laughs> no, total. It is Amari DeBerry, who has played <laughs> 24 minutes this season. And she has three. Yeah. <laughs> not so, great. AT yeah. Fund was... Or, no, sorry. I I can't read. That was Aaliyah. That makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, AT had seven? <laughs> that makes no sense. Okay. It's Aaliyah. <laughs> it's... I remember last year Amari had really high blocks per 40 numbers because she would always get her hand on a ball. I mean, I think the ship has probably sailed at this point, but man, there's... <laughs> if she goes to, like, an A-10 school, I could see her being... Not Natalie Butler level, because Natalie Butler was unstoppable when she went to George mm -hmm. Mason, but just a very, very impactful player at the A-10 level, especially where they don't have people like her like yeah. her size size wise but at, we're halfway through her junior year i think it's 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 time to stop holding out hope i might yeah. call it <laughs> i agree she's still there so i feel like part of me is like well she stayed so there must be some hope but yeah agreed <laughs> speaking of the front court seems like UConn is permanently going to be down another player this season. Gino said that Ayanna Patterson is probably out for the year. He was a little vague about it when he talked with us, but then on his coach's show, he had a little more context to it, saying that everything they try to relieve her pain has been tried, and it works for a little, but then it ends up coming back, which would explain why she got so close to coming back. And Gino said she looked healthy and was, you know, imminent in, was imminently about to return. And then all of a sudden went to, we don't know. So it sounds like that's not decided 100%, but he did not sound like he was planning on her, having her, which 
I guess it's better at this point just to get it fixed. Let's just get everything fixed. Does anyone have anything yeah. that hurts? Just get surgery and <laughs> do it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tough break, obviously, for this team. It just, again, it's just like another blow of people that was supposed to make up this roster that was so well constructed this year and it's just now <laughs> in a totally different state than expected. Yeah, I was updating my scholarship grid that I usually will tweet out when UConn gets a new commitment, and I realized I hadn't updated it since AZ's injury, so I was doing that, adding AZ to the the now junior class, or the, the now sophomore class, and current assuming Ayana will miss the season, they will have six players on the roster that have suffered a season-ending injury over the last three years, which is just mind-boggling i know four of them are this year and it apparently keeps getting worse but six <laughs> players with season-ending injuries you can probably go back to the start of the 21st century between then <laughs> and uh no that's that might not be true because the 2001 season had a lot of injuries but just how many years do you have to go back before 2020 to yeah to get six season-ending injuries, not even counting Dorka's broken wrists. So that's seven, actually, in there. Dorka's just not on the roster anymore. And it happened towards the end, which I, I feel yeah. like is a little different, but still. She would have been out for the season if that happened earlier on in the year. So seven season-ending injuries. I mean, the only ones that I can think of are Morgan Tuck and, and Caroline Doty and the ones in... 2001 i mean there's there's probably more in there that i'm forgetting but it just puts into further context how insane these last three years have been yeah it's just mind-boggling at this point and they could in theory in in theory i think it's strictly in theory return everyone next year because everyone has an additional year of eligibility not that i think they will but the WNBA draft lottery was held on Sunday. The Fever got the first pick. Caitlin Clark and Aaliyah Boston being on the same team is just going to be hilarious to watch on Twitter to see the South Carolina and Iowa fan bases attempt to get along. <laughs> but it leads to the question of who might be back, who might use their COVID years, and UConn has four players that could. Aaliyah Edwards, Aubrey Griffin, Nika Mule, and Paige Beckers. Aaliyah was asked about it, didn't have anything to say, just said she'll worry about that when the season's over. Paige didn't have anything to say. Aubrey, I, I imagine feel like, she didn't had... Paige already say that she's coming back like a while ago to go she back said... to Lobo? Or probably implied that she was coming back. I feel like there was something at the beginning of the season where she did an interview with Lobo. That is ringing a bell. Like, she said definitively after tearing her ACL that she was back. We will research this. But I think Paige is coming back. Yeah. I don't actually just think that. I feel I feel actually pretty confident in saying that Paige is going to come back. Agreed. Both just my own theories and the, the things that you hear through the grapevine. But think about it. She is basically like essentially is right now going through a sophomore season 
I know she yeah. played a bit as a sophomore, but that was a weird year. So if she leaves after this year, I think she'll very much feel robbed of a college experience, a proper college experience, because she'll only have gotten, knock on wood, but two full seasons of college. Whereas she comes back next year, that's three full seasons, parts of full se- four full seasons, a chance to play with AZ again. I think there's a lot that could that could bring her back and like she said that all she wants to do at UConn is win a national championship and she close close as a sophomore being in that championship game I think their better chance to do so would have been her freshman year when they didn't show up against Arizona but look I think even with there being four plus months until the final four i think it's already fair to say that a lot would need to go right for yukon to even be in the final four so i just think a lot of things are uh are coming together for pace to be back next year yeah i agree i would say like yes there's a lot of time so i don't know maybe this team will be a final four team by then who knows uh, no one knows but right agreed that they are they're not in the position we all thought they would be where they're going to clearly be one of the top two teams in the country and have this stacked lineup and all this depth and everything else that was going to lead to fall things falling where a national championship should kind of be something that they easily, not easily contain because it's never easy, but like are the favorites to do so. And that's, that's not going to be the case for this team with the way the cards have fallen so far this season. Right, it'll be a different type of NCAA tournament that we're used to. Going in talking about how could UConn not win it, as opposed to how can they maybe pull this off. Right. The The thing I do go back to every now and then is, there was one year, and I, I am not an expert on Tennessee women's basketball history, but I do know that there's one season in there, in the late 90s, that Tennessee had a million injuries... Were they something like a 10 seed? I, I don't know if they were that low, but they were a very low seed in the NCAA tournament. And I don't know if they got fully healthy or just everything clicked and they went on a run and won the national championship. I mean, I, I might have brought this up the last three years and talked about it, but I do think about that every now and then where just what if everything breaks their way? Like South Carolina gets knocked out in the Sweet 16 or the elite eight or just the other side of the final four and UCLA falters somewhere or they just beat UCLA. Like we saw that they, they can hang with UCLA. Mm-hmm. UCLA is really good. And I think if they played a hundred times, UCLA would win the majority of times, but I don't think it would be a hundred. And, you know, this ball bounces this way and this and that happens. I do think about that Tennessee team a lot though, with mm-hmm. all that UConn's gone through just, pushing through it and ending up winning it against the odds. Yeah. I mean, I think it's certainly something that, that could happen. I do feel like right now, how I feel about like the rest of the country is like, I feel like kind of like UCLA and South Carolina are a little bit in their own tier, but that's kind of a mess everywhere else. Like, I don't think we really know where UConn falls in that mess. Yeah. Yeah, I I think they're better than the 17th best team in the country, especially Mm -hmm. you get, I just don't totally get how 
Texas can move up five spots for beating oh, yeah. UConn, but UConn falls six spots for losing to a team that just moved up five spots. Like you're rewarding Texas for beating UConn, but then you're punishing UConn for losing. It doesn't right. make sense. The poll yeah. never makes sense. And I hate talking it about it, does. but yeah, <laughs> I think they're probably like around the, the 10th best team, like somewhere in that, like 10 ish yeah. range, like general, general top 10 team. But on mm-hmm. that lower end, I think is a better way to put it. But right, and yeah, they could be better than that by the end of the season. So well, you shall see. Not think it's right entirely out of the question, but there's lots to right. happen between now and then. Yeah. Then the other two, or actually, one more point with the NCAA tournament is every year UConn goes in with the expectation that they need to be in the Final Four and they need to be the favorite for the national championship. Does maybe being an underdog in the tournament and just not having that pressure of this is what has to happen and let's just go out there and see what kind of a mess we can make? I don't know. Maybe that makes a difference. Yeah, that the fact that you're very likely going to get to play your regionals in Albany as well can help. Mm-hmm. God, can you imagine? Like, I I wouldn't complain about going to Portland because Portland is great. I know it is a cross country flight like seattle but can you imagine the year that we actually have the close regional they get sent out to portland just because i mean there's eight spots there's a way the committee can finagle that and make it so that uconn ends up in albany like they'd probably even if they should be a two seed and end up as a three seed to be in albany i think it probably happens they'd have to be really really bad like a five seed to just get thrown anywhere but yeah, I think they probably still end up in Albany that way because then you, once you get past like the top four seeds, they start looking at location a, whole, a lot more. Um, yeah. Actually, but... no, it would probably be if they were a one seed and yeah. there were three teams very clearly above them. Right, yeah, that's the biggest case. I think where they don't end up in Albany, but honestly, the odds that there's going to be three teams above them as a one seed that like you're gonna all prefer albany the way the pac-12 looks right now just feels unlikely well i'm i'm more thinking about it as like top so like if the left side of the bracket is is that how it works is it either no it's just it's no it's It's just random like it's by the one seeds so it's like if south carolina is the top overall seed they'll want albany but then like if ucla is number two they'll want portland and then if stanford's number three they'll want portland and it would be on the right side but like if stanford was four they want portland like then it doesn't matter where in the bracket it is okay okay i feel like the ncaa needs like an explainer on that because i think people find it very and it is a little confusing because of like all the regions like being the same it's it's very confusing how it all goes yeah but we can we can handle that when we get to march that's still a little ways away but with Nika, I can honestly see a path to Nika coming back. I think she loves playing at UConn. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's a great WNBA prospect. I did see one, I think it was M. Adler at the next, listed her as like the 12th best prospect coming out. This is a Nika Mule podcast, but I, I don't know about that. And, yeah. and like, look, if sure, I'm sure she can go play in Europe, but... Europe will be there. She doesn't, knock on wood, have any health issues that need to get her pro career started. 
I, I don't think I would be all that surprised if Nico came back, especially if Paige came back. I agree. I, I agree that I don't know how I feel about her being the 12th best prospect, and honestly, I haven't really looked at the list, but I feel like all the talk has been like this year's class could be so deep, and I wouldn't probably put... I just, I think without the scoring, it's going to be hard for her to, to carve a role in the WNBA. Yeah, then... Aubrey already back for a fifth year. Six years is just a lot to spend somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if she moves on one way or another. I don't know if it would be just moving on from basketball or taking a shot at the WNBA just to at least have an answer or maybe going somewhere where she would be a featured player. Like, a, Can you imagine Aubrey Griffin at like a, a St. Joe's or even like mm-hmm. a Seton Hall? level school yeah i mean she would should be averaging like 20 and 18 <laughs> yeah it would be crazy then Aaliyah, i think more so than any of them Aaliyah's is probably in the position where it makes sense for her to to turn pro i think as rocky as this year's been at times i think she's ready i think she's for the most part done what she can do at uconn it would certainly help to have Aaliyah back next year because they have nothing but question marks in that mm-hmm. front court, especially like Ayana's coming off an injury. We still don't really know what ice is. Jana's coming off a, an Achilles tear. Like maybe they add Sarah strong, but she's still only a freshman and there's not a whole lot of size in that group. Not that Aaliyah is huge, but I think she would fall into the category of like, selfishly it would be great but it's probably best for Aaliyah to turn pro now and really start moving towards that next step in her career yeah I probably agree I think the reason she comes back is if you know they don't want a championship this year and she feels like they have a good chance to do that next year and that's something she really wants but otherwise I, I, I think it, it would make sense for her to go this year I think she's ready I was looking at all of it, and I'm like, man, if, if Nika comes back and Paige is back, then you do have a lot of, of guards, like, you know, Caroline, AZ, all the freshmen, so KK, Cadence, Ashlyn, and then you bring in Morgan, Chelly, and Ali Isabel. Like, <laughs> hmm, it might be tough to find space for everyone. And then the other part of my brain chimed in to say, actually, we're learning that you can never have enough good players at any one position because you may find yourself having none of them. So, yeah. <laughs> They'll just play like a five guard lineup <laughs> or four guards with Jana. <laughs> yeah. Who, uh, if Egypt is any indication, can play like a guard. So <laughs> they've, they've, how does this work? They have three open scholarships, assuming none of those four that we just mentioned come back. They have three, they have two if it's just Paige. They have one if it's just Paige and Nika, and then anyone more than that, Aaliyah, Aubrey, a transfer, another freshman, they would have to start escorting people out the door. So that's probably... Is there some kind of rule about the scholarship count if, like, they're using their COVID years? So I thought so. I was talking with Carl Adamek about it, and he seemed to think that that only applied to that first immediate year after covid when there was no planning for it i thought it was something like that but again it's actually really hard to find 
like rules yes. anywhere online. So honestly, I would trust what Carl said. I feel like Carl always knows his stuff. <laughs> he is a walking encyclopedia. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be. I mean, whenever the season does end, it will be. Well, actually, we're used to it being 48 hours after the final four that players have to decide, but there's like an actual deadline day. Is yeah, there? there is. It's sometime before the final four, a few days before the final four or something like that. So, well, whenever it is, those will that be deadline or yeah, 48 hours after your last game. Right. So those will be a, an anxious few days, hours, whatever it ends up being. Waiting to hear what happens. I think I, I've never, I'm not a better, but I would bet Paige is back. I think I'm closer to 50-50 on Nika, and odds are that Aaliyah and Aubrey are gone. That's where I'd put it for the four of them. Yeah, that feels fair. I think they can also like put their name in and then withdraw it. If they change their mind, because that's what like Chris Osborne at UCLA did last year. Her name was in, and then she withdrew it before the draft. So they How it. soon before the draft? Just before the draft happens? Yeah, I don't know what their specific rule is. Sometime before the draft. I'm sure there's an actual date. I just don't know what it is. Honestly, I didn't know that they could do that until she did it last year. <laughs> well, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like something that we will worry about in April. Exactly. <laughs> Until then, we have a lot of basketball to go, and a lot of, even just aside from those players coming back, a lot more things that need to be figured out. So that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. We'll be back once more before the holidays. They have these three games coming up against Louisville, against Butler, and against Toronto Metropolitan. We'll record after that and then go into the holiday break along with the rest of the team. So on that note, thanks for listening.